You're listening to Strong Asian Lead, the podcast for Asian Americans in film, television, and streaming. I'm your host, Masami Moria. In this podcast, we hold candid discussions about the entertainment industry from the Asian American perspective and host interviews with the trailblazing Asian Americans who made the industry what it is today. This week, we're publishing an interview I had with Katie Chang, an actress, producer, and writer most known for her roles in The Blink Ring, A Bird's Guide to Everything, and The Outcasts. She's currently the lead voice actor as Maddie Kim on AMC's animated Pantheon. Here's my conversation with Katie Chang. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on the Strong Asian Lead podcast and you know, just joining us and talking with us today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, right, let's start off with, you know, tell us, tell me in the audience, you know, your name, where you're calling from, where's your hometown. I would just uh, love to hear what you're doing in part of the industry right now. Absolutely. My name is Katie Chang. I'm in Los Angeles, California. It's actually pretty gloomy this morning. I'm originally from outside of Chicago, but I've been in LA for about three years and I'm an actor. I studied writing in college. So, you know, my goal is to be a writer as well. But for right now, the acting thing is the main priority. Acting in, in that way, do you like having the actor life better or the writer? Is that the thing that you're trying to focus on? I mean, the, with writing, I think for a period of time, you're a little bit more in the driver's seat because you are creating your schedule and you are the person that's creating the work. Whereas an actor, you're a little bit less in control. You get the stuff sent to you. And then a lot of people have to decide if you're correct for the role in order for you to actually book something. But of course, when you're a writer, you you know you have control up until a certain point when you're writing your own piece, but then you send it out to the world. And then a lot of people have to decide if they like it. So I'm not sure which one I prefer. Both I've had to kind of learn to appreciate because I'm the kind of, I'm such a perfectionist. So I love to be, you know, in control of my day and in control of my destiny, but that's just not possible when you're an actor and, you know, to a certain extent when you're a writer. So it's been, it's been a good lesson in kind of letting go and like radical acceptance. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I prefer this lifestyle, but, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I found my passion and it just so happens that this is it. So you have to make, you know, compromises with your life. I love that, the whole idea of radical acceptance. But I know I've read that book where I had Carb Rock and like, yeah. <laughs> making sure it's like, oh, just accept what's here. <laughs> um, yeah. I, it's a good practice. Just, you know, things are what they are. And the second you accept that instead of fighting it, things, you know, life gets a little bit more manageable and easier. I try to practice that with a lot of different elements of my life. Yeah, that's a good one. When did you decide or felt like you wanted to become an actor or writer? You're a producer too, right? You, you, I you do. <laughs> yeah. I, I should mention that I'm a producer. So I like to say that I came out of the womb kind of performing. You know, I was always a very performative child. And my dad and my grandpa, they were always really into cameras and video cameras. So we were always making little skits and sketches at home. I think what really allowed me to realize that acting could be a career was when I was watching Spy Kids. I was probably like seven maybe. And we had the VHS or the DVD and I found the bonus features on the menu. And so you could watch the behind the scenes. And that was the first time that I realized like it clicked for me. Oh my God, like this is a job that kids can have, you know, and, it, and look how fun you're doing stunts. And of course, not every movie is stunt heavy, but like it just looked like the most fun. And, and there was this 
big moment that happened where I was like, oh, wow, that's exactly what I want to do. Now, of course, when you're seven, you can think that and maybe it fades. But over the course of my life, that belief of that this is exactly what I want to do has never faded since I was seven years old. So I think I've just known from a very early age that this is what I want to do. And that's, you know, that's a good and a bad thing, right? Because it's it's very narrow. And, you know, once you decide very early on, you're on this path and sometimes curveballs get thrown at you and it's not linear. And so that was a lot of learning, you know, how to handle the rejection and the other sides of the industry that come as you get older. But yeah, it's, I mean, I, I figured it out very early what I wanted to do, especially as a kid, realizing kids could do this, you know. But it wasn't until I was about 11 or 12 that I started taking formal acting classes at a school called the Actors Training Center in Wilmette, Illinois, which is about... 20, 30 minutes north of Chicago. Um, and I, by the end of like two years, I had taken every class that was available there. I had taken every workshop. I had found representation. I had a manager. I, I think I had an agent. I can't really remember at that time. But yeah, within the first hour of my first acting class, I had taken like five pages of notes. And it, it's just this feeling of like, I don't know if you've ever felt that way where whether it was a relationship or an experience where you're just like, this is so completely right. And this is exactly what I should be doing with my life. It's a very powerful feeling for a very dramatic 12 year old to experience, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I figured it out very early. Yeah, I loved Spy Kids too. And back in the day, like, <laughs> right? You just wanted to be those kids. Exactly. Um, it looks so. Fun. I just couldn't get over how fun it looked, and I think, I think there was an element of it where I was like, when you are an actor, and especially when you're like a leading role, how imp this might reveal a little bit of my psyche, but like how important you must feel and how necessary you must feel to the process, as well as the joy that comes with like working together with other people and creating something with other people. I just found the whole experience to, to, to seem very important and necessary. And I think as a kid, that's all you want to feel is important and necessary. I, I, I was just like a, a moth to a flame. I was totally drawn to it. Yeah. I think the heroes in that, that story, right? They're kids, but they're, there were heroes in it. I think that's not a not the dumb kids, not the goofy kids, uh, the people who are making those changes in there. Yeah. Those powers, right? I actually I got the experience to do a movie, I think about two years ago with Alexa Vega's sister, Mackenzie. So I I, <laughs> I probably annoyed her, but I was asking her so many questions. I was like, I'm obsessed with your sister. <laughs> <laughs> that that movie still, you know, it's a, it's a sweet silly movie, but it. It was a. It was very impactful for me. I don't know. It was very, very impactful. When did you uh, decide and feel like you wanted to become a writer? That's a whole other industry, right? So, like, was that something? That it's kind of the there? same story, because writing was always performative for me too. So I was always performing as a kid, and like I said, using the video cameras, or my parents got me my own video camera, writing my own skits, directing my friends, acting in the thing. It was all together. So, yeah, the writing is the same story. I just knew early on. And I, I, ever since I've been in kindergarten, I have kept a diary. So I literally have like a written record of my life, which is pretty ridiculous. So it's the same, it's the same exact story. I, I think I always thought that being a writer in some capacity was more of a practical job. So maybe as a kid, when people asked me what I wanted to do, I would say I want to be a writer you know, that seemed more realistic. But in terms of actually sitting down and writing screenplays and everything, that 
was probably more in high school. After I had started working in the industry and reading a lot of scripts, I knew what the format was like. I kind of knew what was good and what wasn't good, at least for my taste. And then, of course, when I got to college, and especially when I got to Northwestern, I started writing in full force. That one, that one was, it, I, I think it happened at the same time as acting, where I knew I wanted to write, but it was much more of a, a slower burn. Acting has always been my number one passion. Sure. How, do you have any specific genres you like to, to dabble into? For writing? Yeah. I write a lot about sad girls in funny worlds. That's kind of my thing, which would say a lot about me. And right now I'm kind of sort of, writing is such a solo activity for me. And sometimes spending that much time with yourself is not a good thing. So I go through these like manic phases where I'll go through a month of like writing constantly. And then I'll do two months where I like the the last thing I want to do is write. I'm definitely not a, a consistent person. I'm, I'm very, very emotion driven with my writing. So it, it, it's not consistent. And I know, I know that's not sustainable necessarily as a career. So it's something I'm working on, but right now I'm working on two things. You've caught me in like a writing phase. So I'm working on a, a script about a young woman who becomes the head coach of a local men's hockey team. Cause I come from a big hockey family. And then I'm working on kind of my, my, my passion project, which is a animated feature about a kid who goes to a treatment center for depression and his therapist gives him a pill that kind of, it's almost like LSD. It, it, I'm not going to reveal too much, but not that <laughs> if it ever gets made, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun things happen with, once they start taking these pills. So yeah, I, I have passion projects for sure. And I think maybe that's some of the reason why I have writer's block sometimes and I don't want anything to do with writing. It's because I'm so, I care so much about it that I get in my own way. And I think, oh, this isn't good, you know, and oh, no one's going to like this, you know, it's that self-defeating prophecy. So that's something I'm continuously working on. Totally feel that one. It's just like, I don't want to, no, okay. (laughs) So you're mixed Korean, is that correct? Yeah, my grandfather came from Korea and then my mom's side of the family is German and Irish. Yeah, it sounds similar to mine. Do Do you, has your identity changed over the years? Has it been an understanding your identity or using your identity or hiding your identity? Yeah, definitely. I didn't, you know, growing up, I grew up in a very white town, very affluent town. And because of my last name, I always, and I always knew I was Korean, but it was never this bad thing. I always thought it was like really special. I thought it was cool that I was different than other people. It really wasn't until like high school when I met one of my good friends and especially in college that I met other Hapa people, people who were mixed Asian. But I always thought it was this really cool thing. I, My identity changed or my relationship with it or, or I guess my, my ability to put it in context changed when I started working more. When, when I was in high school as an actor, because then I started getting really explicitly identified as Asian, you know, and I had always just been Katie. Yeah, Katie is Asian, but I was Katie. And I wasn't raised with a lot of Korean culture initially. And so I, I just, I was just American, you know, it wasn't until I started getting more involved in the industry that I was like, oh, because of the way that I look, and especially because of my last name, people can't see me as white. And then interestingly enough, 
I was also not Asian enough either. So there was a lot of like resentment for a time feeling I'm not enough of this. I'm not enough of that. Why can't the way that I am or the the person that I am just exist on its own and be good enough, you know? But especially with like the the surge of Asian and Asian American stories in the industry that has happened over the last few years, you know, with Crazy Rich Asians and everything Aquafina is doing, and especially all the really amazing Hapa women that are going to be on TV in the next year, two years. I've felt now the resentment has gone away. I'm just more proud. And I'm more like, where can I find my place? You know, I'm excited. I, I see it as an asset now. Whereas when I was first starting out, it was, it was, it was something that that made me different, not always in a good way. Did you find that to be the most challenging thing, back, especially during that time, was finding roles that either fit you or didn't fit you, or they they you like feel discriminated against because you were too Asian and not Asian enough, or yeah, either way, you know, it, it, it definitely, I, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to use the word discrimination. I don't want to like take that word because I'm aware of how privileged my life has been. But there were definitely times where, especially when I made my first movie and I kind of felt like, oh, I'm, you know, this could really jumpstart my career, you know, not that I don't feel that way now, but I definitely felt more like promise and hope as like a young, naive 18-year-old. I guess I was 16. It it was hard a, a lot of the time to realize I was losing out on a lot of roles. There, there just seemed to be a pattern where I would audition for the main character and I knew I was good enough and I had just done a lead in a movie and it would always still go to a Caucasian person. And, you know, occasionally I would get a chance to audition for another role in the movie, but that would be like the best friend who doesn't really have a purpose other than to be a warm body. So I noticed that pattern. And I think that's really indicative of where the industry was at back when I first started. I think things are different now, but it it was interesting to realize that, that I did my first movie as a leading role and that that was not going to be a guarantee for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did you ever feel the pressure to change your name? I wouldn't say it was pressure. It was definitely suggested. There, there was a conversation right before my first film came out. My agent and my manager and my lawyer and my dad, because I was still underage, we were all on the phone and they suggested it. I wouldn't say they heavily suggested it, but they brought it up and kind of gave me the pros of why that would be a good thing. But the, but the thing is my name is Katie Chang. Like I, I, even my mom calls me Katie Chang. Like I've always been, I've never been Katie. I'm Katie Chang. Like that's my name. Everyone in my life calls me by my first and my last name. I I could never, I would feel so dirty giving that up, you know? And I'm, and like I said, when I was a kid, I thought being part Korean was so cool, you know? So I was always even if I did feel some resentment, I was still really proud of it to be a Korean American person. I, I just, yeah, it felt very wrong. So I, I voiced my opinion very strongly and luckily I was listened to, you know, they, they agreed. And I think it helped that the role that I was playing, that we were going to be promoting this movie with my name, the, that the person in real life was Asian. I, maybe I would have gotten more pushback if 
I was just playing a role and the Asian identity wasn't necessary to the story. But but there the yeah, that it was suggested. That was the one and only time though that it was suggested. And I know that if I had said, "Yeah, let's do it," like they would have been happy about that decision, you know. But that that, that was never anything I ever wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, you stuck to your stuck your guns here and you said, "Hey, no." <laughs> That's good. It's like reclaiming that identity, right? It's keeping with it. It's just my name. I, I, you know, I, that's my name. It's my identity. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine it it was, it was, it was unimaginable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, was this for the the bling ring? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What were you feeling before, during, and after the whole, that whole shoot? I remember that was a few years ago. Um, (laughs) It was a few years ago. Um, this coming spring 2022 will be 10 years since we filmed the movie, which is just insane and honestly very depressing. My feelings before the film, I was very, very nervous. I was like on high alert because I really felt like someone was playing like a very elaborate prank on me. So I just, I assumed that at any given moment up until the day I got to Los Angeles, like this could be taken away from me. I was very, 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 very nervous. It's hard to remember that time in my life. I was young. I mean, I was 16. There were a lot of other things going on in my life. There, there are times where it's, I can't remember that time. I think some parts of my brain are kind of blacked out. I wish I could. I remember the facts very well. I remember the dates. I remember the outfits. I remember the locations. Like, I remember the facts of the experience. I wish that I remembered more the emotional experience of it. But I think I was so overwhelmed and nervous that I shut that part of my brain off and went into autopilot and was just like, here we go, you know, which I guess is a is a is a good thing you know I I went into like kind of professional mode but I do wish I had been more mindful during that time but it's hard to expect a 16 year old to be mindful during the film I mean it was very exciting very very overwhelming especially because you know I was doing school at the same time and I had a lot of onset teachers and tutors that would come on the weekends. That was probably the most difficult part was just trying to maintain my grades. I wasn't used to homeschooling, but it it was a great experience because it it taught me a lot about what college is like. You know, you do have to teach yourself sometimes. And so I'm glad I learned that early on. Yeah, it was overwhelming. I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a perfectionist. So I remember, I, if I, I do remember moments where I felt like I wasn't doing good enough and nobody ever said that to me, but I just wanted to be perfect and I wanted to be cool. And, you know, my, I was so green and so naive and, and that definitely showed a lot. And I was, I was hyper aware of how, on on jaded I was you know and I I I I don't I don't know if I changed because of that I'm I'm certain I did in some capacity but you know there are times in my life where I wish I could go back to the simplicity of life before that for sure um but you know then there's this whole other 
part of the experience where it was like, this is ridiculous and so fun, you know, like we're, <laughs> we're wearing designer clothes and I'm walking in heels and we're filming at these beautiful mansions. So, you know, I would be a fool to not mention the fact that it was like crazy and, and an incredible experience and so fun. I, I just think I was just, I was just very young, you know, but it couldn't have happened any sooner. You know, that's what I wanted. I wanted this. So I'm ultimately very grateful for it. After the film, after the film, the day we wrapped, I flew home and went to school the next day. So that was really interesting. And I don't know what I expected, but everyone at my school was pretty respectful. You know, they were, I don't think anyone really cared. The next year, my senior year is when we were promoting the movie a lot, doing a lot of press, flying to different places. That was difficult in its own experience. I, I really, really don't like some elements of the press and the publicity. And, you know, I'm someone who struggled with eating disorders and body dysmorphia. So that was very difficult to be doing the photo shoots and be being photographed and just constantly nitpicking yourself. But, you know, again, there's this whole other side of it where it was like, this is cool. You know, you're doing an amazing thing. It was difficult, but a very, very important experience in my life. You know, there's so many things and so many parts of the country and parts of the world that I've gotten to see and experiences that I've gotten to have that I wouldn't have had the chance to do had I not done this film. So, and you know, when I look about the film as a whole, look at the film as a whole and look at my career as a whole, like, I think the reason I have a career is because of this film, you know, and now it's 10 years. So the glory has faded, but for the first like five, six years of my career after Blingering, like that movie got me in so many doors and I'll always be forever grateful for that. Yeah, it seems like a really great project for yourself. And um, yeah, being thrown in the deep end to a big project like that, <laughs> and then just having to learn about yourself and then the industry, everything around it. It's a lot to, a lot to handle. Just so yeah, and I definitely wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was ready, but mm -hmm. it was a very good learning experience. Yeah. What's a, what's a dream project of yours? Like, was that, was that something that you'd be writing, directing, and producing, and acting all yourself, or is it something that... Yeah, um... definitely. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. I, You know, I really want to do TV. I really, really want to do TV. I have a TV show coming out next year, and it's been so fun. It's animated, so we were doing voiceover, so it's a, it's a different type of working. I'd love to be, you know, on camera doing TV. I'm a huge TV person, and that would be a dream, just to work with an ensemble every day and really build that family and get to know everyone that that would be a highlight for me for absolutely yeah sure now this this anime tv show that's pantheon right yeah pantheon yeah how's that going how's that, uh, how's that it's, been? it's great yeah so we we were ordered for two seasons on amc and so we actually already finished recording both seasons we finished wow. in august i was so sad because i was like this has been the best job ever i booked the job like midway during the pandemic in 2020 which was so interesting because I re at the beginning of the pandemic I really expected to never work again I was like well there goes my career you know and then suddenly I booked this job and not only is it a job but it's good you know and it's intelligent and different so I was I was just so excited so yeah for about a year we did a lot of recording sessions and we did I think about eight episodes each season, and I don't know exactly when it will be out next year, but I know sometime next year on AMC. Got it. Very cool. And what's the what's been the change of doing 
uh, live acting in person on front camera versus uh, voice acting in acting animation. I had to learn a lot about breathing. It's a little bit like singing preparation. And I worked with an awesome Alexander Technique coach named Jean-Louis Rodrigue, who helped me a lot with my breathing. It's it's very different, you know, using the tone of your voice to convey something. Some Sometimes when you're acting on camera, you can rely on your facial expression or sort of the opposite tone to convey something. But when you're doing voiceover, you really have to think critically about like, what am I trying to say? What is the underlying message that I'm trying to say? In different emph- different tones, different volumes, different emphasis, it, it changes the meaning of the sentence. So it was it was a really interesting, different way to work. But it was so much fun and, and, and so easy and so safe during a global mm. pandemic. Sure, being in audio booths <laughs> than that. In a whole crew and cast, it's crazy. Absolutely, yeah. And the the recording studio that we worked at is in Burbank. It's called Dave and Dave, and they were just like the most professional and 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 intelligent and hardworking. And I I, I had so much. It was just fun. I wish I want to do more voiceover. I wish that we were still doing it. But you know, I I think the way that the second season ends, like it would be difficult to justify another season. But you'll you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> We'll just, we'll just go for a new project and get you on something else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. What's been, over the past you know, years of all your acting, what's been something you've learned from your experience uh, in, in... In Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood, entertainment, uh, you know, all, all the stuff you've been doing. I think it's really important to have interest in hobbies outside of the industry. That was something that I struggled with for a very long time because the nature of this work is so unpredictable. You can work for six months and then not work again for two years. And you have to find a way to sustain yourself, not only financially, but emotionally. So finding other things that give me passion, you know, and and also having a very good network of friends, especially friends that are not directly in the industry, is very important. And then I think in terms of like acting specifically, what I have learned You can rely on sheer talent alone, but that will only get you so far. The best actors are the ones that do the work and that don't care about the press and don't care about the fame. They're just there for the work because they love the work and they love the character analysis. They love the script work. They love collaborating. That's something that I've really come to value. Absolutely. Is there a project you've been most proud of? I feel like there are little bits and pieces of everything that I've done that I've appreciated mostly. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I've always loved the movies where it feels like you're at summer camp. So mm-hmm. those some of those lower budget ones where you're kind of... Like, for example, I did a film right after Bling Ring. I did a movie called A Birder's Guide to Everything, directed by Rob Meyer. And we were living at this, like, Holiday Inn in upstate New York and filming in the woods. And it totally felt like summer camp. And it was such a special experience. Not, you know, not only to mention the fact that we got to work with Sir Ben Kingsley. So that was just, like, the most amazing, amazing acting lesson you could ever have. And I did another movie a while ago where we were filming in San Francisco. And again, it was that same idea of like, we're all staying at a cabin together. And 
I just love the ones where you really feel like you've come away with family and lifelong friends. That doesn't always happen in the industry. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then Pantheon will always be special because, you know, I really didn't think I would work again. And so I've just been happy to work. Like I said, I just, I just love the work. It's, it's never about anything other than that. So, but yeah, I would say there are bits and pieces of everything, but the, the main through line is just like that collaborative experience and really feeling like you're in this together and you're up against the world. And especially for whatever reason, the movies with the woods, whenever you're in the <laughs> woods, it really brings you together. I feel that. Um, I'd love to talk a little more about, I'm going back to Asian identity in the past, you know, 10 years from since and all have you done, has your Asian identity come up very often? Has that been something you've been promoting more especially with the new Asian, I don't want to say the Asian way because it's been going on for decades, but like has it's been changing these past few years. Is it something you've been brought up or your agents and managers been bringing up more often or has that just not been part of the conversation? I would say the, I think it's fair to say that the number of auditions, like the frequency of auditions has increased dramatically. Mm. There, there's more interest in having people of color, Asian people on screen. So I'm I'm getting auditions for all types of things. And I feel so lucky to have that opportunity, especially during a time when people, a lot of performers aren't working. You know, I feel very, very lucky to just have these opportunities. I would say there is still like kind of a blanket, like, oh, I want, we want an Asian person, you know? So like a Korean person will audition, a Chinese person will audition, a Filipino person will audition. You know, there's, there's, I would love to see more, specificity I guess and more appreciation for the individual cultures as opposed to seeing it as like this one big culture but yeah the frequency of auditions has increased a lot and I am finding that even though I'm Hapa and you know in some ways I look Asian in some ways I don't there's more of that space that's being carved out for mixed people so that's made me very proud and you know, regarding my identity, especially living in LA where you have like an amazing Korean culture, I'm finding a lot of ways to engage with that. And it's making me think about my grandpa a lot and, and all the sacrifices he made. And I'm just excited. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I mean, it's, 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 it's a shame that it's happening so late, you know, this appreciation for Asian people. We had Asian actors for centuries who were incredible and deserved the attention that we are now getting. But I think, you know, you can talk to any Asian American actor in this, in this town and they would say that we're only standing on the shoulders of the people that came before us. So there's definitely an appreciation for like the history that I feel. Yeah. Yeah. We need more of that history too, though. Some people don't know a lot of names that have been made stardom. Yeah. These, you only hear about it when you read the obituaries, not to sound mm-hmm. dark, but, and then you're like, oh my God, why have I never heard of this person before? You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So many, so many. Is there anybody you admire or you're inspired by? I, I this is going to sound super cheesy, but like, I think Bruce Lee was the, the greatest. <laughs> Especially I watched the, I can't remember if it was 30 for 30 or it was some like, mm-hmm. it was a documentary and God, he was just so cool. And, a, and an absolute trailblazer. Absolute trailblazer. I, I really love him. <laughs> I really love him. You know, to talk about someone more contemporary, Aquafina is doing this amazing stuff where she's she's 
created a space for Asians to be funny. She's created a space for Asians to be funny, to be known as funny, and then suddenly change it up and win a Golden Globe, you know, and then be a rapper. Like, I, I, I think, I think that's been really, really important. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and going back a little bit, I know you're, you're mixed. I'm also mixed. So, and mm-hmm. I just so, think it's so funny because you look like my sister. No <laughs> way! <laughs> you, you look like my sister. Remind me, we're Japanese American. Oh, I'm just like, okay. oh, you look like, be sure you picture me like, oh, yeah, just her. That's so funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. Have you ever worked with Asian, Asian directors or Asian collaborators that, that it changed the way you, um, you know, experience that on set? I've definitely auditioned for them before. Have I ever worked with an Asian director? I want to make sure I'm answering the question correctly. Mm, I don't think I ever have. Everything's good, too. I don't think I ever have. That's such a shame. Mm-hmm. I'd love to. I've definitely, I've definitely auditioned for it before. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it would change? Do you think you were like... um not just the your acting in self, but there's, the experience of processing the acting. There's just a camaraderie and like a solidarity, you know, an unspoken, oh, I know what you've been through and you know what I've been through. That, you know, when you have that director-actor relationship, you have to have a lot of trust and like a, mm. and love and comfortability and, and respect. And if you come from a background where someone can identify with you, that, that's inherent. So I'm I'm looking forward to that time. I were I I think in in college when I was producing a lot, I definitely worked with Hapa people and you know Asian American actors. But professionally, I I don't think so. I I would love to. I mean, certainly you know there are people who identify as Asian that are on sets that whether it's someone who works in the sound department or someone who works in the art department, but working with someone who's like in a leadership role, I don't think I ever have. I would love to have that experience. We'll see that the next five, ten years. I'm yeah, sure. like, those are all coming up now, right? Well, I mean, the Asian, especially the Asian female directors, mm-hmm. are just like Yellow Jackets is about to come out, and I'm so excited because that's an Asian female director. I, I mean, I auditioned for it, so I know what happens. But like, I'm, I'm so excited to see that show because it's just such a monumental moment for women in the in the film in the tv industry and asian women in the tv industry yeah we need a lot of that i think we need a diversity within you know having asians in these positions is great but having diversity within the asian community in these positions even more important definitely now i don't know how often you think about this and so this might be out of the question but you know what do you think what do you think is needed in the asian pacific islander communities for sustainable and systemic change within the industry do you feel like is there something that you see that you're like maybe this would help fix it or this is the this is a problem I mean I not have a fix but this I do see this as a an issue it's kind of going back to what I just said I just think we need more Asian identifying people in leadership roles you know Hollywood is kind of controlled by a very select few people and they tend to be white and they tend to be male I would love to see a high-powered Hapa executive like that would be the coolest thing you know because there's then there's a baseline interest in telling Asian stories you know and and casting and hiring people to tell these stories and maybe the story isn't about being Asian but it's just like an Asian person I just want it to be normal you know normalizing it so I think getting 
you know, Asian, Asian American HAPA, creative executives, development executives, writers, directors, producers. And, and in order to sometimes do that, you do have to create programs and you have to create incentives. And I don't see a problem with that to a certain extent. Like I, you know, some people talk about how there shouldn't be diversity mandates and there shouldn't be things like that. You, you say that you sound like a, an asshole. Like why? You know what I mean? Because otherwise nothing's going to change. You have to try to yeah. make something change. You can't just expect it to change. Like, I'm sorry, but merit alone doesn't get you very far in this industry. Unfortunately, you can be as educated as, as possible and you might lose out because, you know, someone who's white and someone who's male yeah, has, nepotism. Has, oh, well, nepotism is a yeah. very big problem in this industry. <laughs> That's actually my like pet peeve is nepotism. Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a few stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's nepotism. It's the who you know. So if they don't know, if they aren't agents in their circles, these you know white male circles, it's like. Then you don't know them. You don't have them. And right? then and there's also them. this like predatory thing that's happening too, where like some content executives are like, ooh, this is hot. Asians are hot. I'm going to hire Asians. Yeah. You know, but like, okay, when f for now, or like, how are you, how are you committing to this in a long term? Mm -hmm. no, why don't do it just to come off good? Do it because yeah, you're interested, you, do it because you believe you in it. Are you going to hire them to tell you tell you the differences and you're going to hire them to listen to them or are you just going to hire them to then tell them what to do? Because it looks good, yeah. Because it looks good, right? Right. I think I got a job call for that. I was like, no, <laughs> that doesn't sound great. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So as we kind of wrap up here, it's like, what's something you want to share with the audience? Is like any, any advice for anybody, anybody who's coming up and doing things that want to be in your position? Yes. <laughs> People don't, you know, something that I'm really passionate about in the Asian American community, we, I don't think we talk about mental health enough. I encourage people to check in with themselves. There, There's some really cool platforms on Instagram when Instagram is working, right? Asian, Asians and mental health, Asians for mental health. I can't remember what the, the, the username is, but there are tons of resources out there. And I just, I just think coming from kind of an Asian background, especially like knowing my dad and my grandpa, it's not something that culturally you talk about. And it's very, 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 very important. So that's something that I care about a lot. And I want to tell stories about that too. I want to, I want that to be in the media. I want that to be on TV and in movies. That's why I'm writing, right? In terms of like advice for people wanting to be in my position, I've said this before in other interviews, but I think it's really important to have a higher education. And that doesn't necessarily mean going to college. I encourage people to get life experience that is greater than their narrow passion. Because if you have life experience, go live abroad for a year, go volunteer for a year, go work at a store for a year. It doesn't really matter as long as you're doing something outside yourself and outside the industry or going to university, right? That life experience, the things you learn will make you a better artist. 
So I think it's very important. And I, I, every day I'm so grateful that I went to college. I'm grateful I have my degree, of course, but it's more because I'm of the people I met and the experiences I had and the good moments and the bad moments. That, that all makes me a more colorful person and in turn makes me a better artist. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier too, that you have to have hobbies and interests outside of the industry. What are your hobbies and outside the industry? I love, I've been, I don't know how realistic this is, but I really want to get my master's in teaching. I love, I love working with kids. I love the little moments of teaching that I've gotten to do over my life. I'm really interested in it. So that's like a weird kind of like other thing that I'm really interested in, especially English as a second language. I think there's a lot of stigma about people that speak with accents. And I actually think like, you don't need to get rid of your accent. That's what makes you unique. You just need to learn the language and like we can make that really fun. I'm really interested in teaching. I love hockey. I'm a huge hockey fan. <laughs> Hockey's huge. Hockey's coming back in a few weeks. I love exercising, hiking, biking, cooking. Yeah, family, friends, new new experiences. I love traveling. Not that we can do it very much right now, but I do love traveling. And and I would consider writing to be an external hobby because it doesn't always have to be tied to acting there's a lot of different types of writing that you can do yeah for sure absolutely that's fun you watch a lot of la kings games or you have another team oh i am not a kings fan at all (laughs) (laughs) i'm a chicago fan for sure (laughs) keep it hometown yes what are you in uh what are you watching or what you recently watched that you're like dying to talk about some people well we've been watching the new season of what we do in the shadows on fx so That's probably like my ultimate, ultimate show right now. During lockdown, I saw every episode of Guy's Grocery Games on Food Network. So like I highly suggest it. It's really good. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. I also watch like The Bachelor and stuff like that. You know, one show that I don't think a lot of women think that they would like, but I loved was Dave also on FX. I just thought it was, I I just thought it was perfect. The second season is super good goofy and weird but but in such a perfect way and the way it ends is so perfect and what else am i watching let's see i just started the other two which is a comedy central show and mm, okay. it's on hbo max i think it's comedy central and it's it's pretty awesome and it it, it brings to light a lot of the struggle of being a, an actor so i really really like that one and there's a couple of things i'm excited about that are coming out yellow jackets on showtime is one of them that i really can't wait to watch let's see what else the new dateline next week i don't know <laughs> Fun. yeah i'm always looking for new recommendations i'm sure everybody else is like huh what are we watching lockdown now <laughs> like when's that new lockdown come down <laughs> try if you have hbl max try watching the other two yeah definitely yeah well thank you so much for uh taking some time with your day so it's like, gloomy cold outside it's kind of just nice chill inside no it's weird yeah. i think it, it'll probably burn off soon usually by like yeah. two it's like 80 degrees <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like oh it's beach time <laughs> good. well uh where can people find you social media handles with when's when's Pan- pantheon coming out like all that good stuff we don't know when pantheon's coming out but stay tuned follow amc and my i'm on instagram um at katie underscore underscore chang because the actual katie chang username was already taken and i'm really angry about it <laughs> but <position that. laughs> unfortunately katie chang is a very common name my my uncle's dentist is named katie chang so yeah. but yeah follow me on instagram i usually post about my cat or my boyfriend so i don't know if you're interested in that kind of content but if you are i'm your girl <laughs> <laughs> perfect well 
Yeah, and thank you so much for speaking with us today. And yeah, I'm very glad, glad to meet you. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to my interview with Katie Chang. We didn't talk about Pantheon during this interview as we recorded before she booked the role, but you can watch Pantheon on Amazon Prime today. If you would like to follow Katie's work, you can find her Instagram handle at Katie underscore 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 Chang. That's Katie Chang with three underscores in between. Thanks again for listening to Strong Asian Lead. We're still getting through the backlog of these interviews and doing our best to publish them on a weekly basis. I'm personally taking my days off to put these together, which is why it's taken over a year to publish them. If you're interested in volunteering to help with this podcast, please reach out to us at the email hello at strongasianlead.com. Thanks again for listening to Strong Asian Lead. I'm your host, Masami Moria.